And, um, and Gerald and I have had some conversations about what's happened. Um, I always text him when I hear something going on in the Twin Cities. I'll text him, hey, Gerald, are you okay? He's like a brother to me. But again, it doesn't get, I think, much more significant than having somebody who is a police officer in the Twin Cities who happens to also be black. So, uh, Gerald, if you can hear us. Hello? Gerald, welcome. You are just a man of many talents. You're a power lifter. You're a bodybuilder. In fact, we saw you win some uh, gold medals a couple of years ago in the World Police and Fire Games that were held here in Los Angeles. Uh, yes, I was thinking about that, the 2017 games in the summer of 2017. That yeah, was awesome. That was fun. Unbelievable. That was really cool. Well, we're not here to talk about that. Okay, You are at, uh, as much as I'd like to, we need to have you talk with us and talk to us. You're at ground zero, okay? But um, give us a little background on who you are, uh, maybe even how you grew up. Because once again, um, for those, some are, are only going to hear the audio. They're not watching this right now. Uh, you're African-American. Okay? Yes, I am. Grew up. Black American. Um, uh, you know, I, uh, currently I am a, a police officer in the Twin Cities. Um, as Before I get started, I'd like to preface this and say that uh, I'm not speaking for the department. Uh, I'm not their public information officer. Uh, the things that uh, we're, we're good friends, we're all good friends here. And so uh, I'm yeah. on your program as a friend and uh, speaking as a concerned citizen, a citizen who happens to be in the area where this incident occurred. And I just want to say it's a abhorrent incident. I am sorry for the family. Uh, I wish there was something uh, there. There aren't words to express what happened or to explain what happened. Sometimes when things of this nature happen. And I, I can't ever think of ever seeing anything like this incident happen before. I d can't express or tell you of one person who has a different feeling than I have about it, that it's just uh, abhorrent what happened and, and words can't express what feel for the family and for all those people throughout the United States and the world that it's we're, impacted. We're with you on that, Gerald. I mean, it just, I, I'm a wordsmith, you know, and I rarely have trouble talking. That's why I speak and do media things. But I don't have any words for the family other than I'm sorry for the loss. Um, my heart goes to you, and um, I stand with you and pray for you. But, yeah, I, I remember one of the first times we met. It was uh, at uh, – we were working with youth. We both have a, a lot to do with youth. And uh, I remember in, in my life, um, uh, when I thought about this incident, it took me back many, many years. Uh, I grew up in inner city. I, I recounted the first time I, I saw a man killed. Wow. And uh, I remember I was like eight or nine years old. Oh! I just went to the store with a friend, bought some candy, and I walked. We were walking just about uh, across the pool hall, in front of the pool hall. When everybody ran out of the pool hall, I saw a, a ball or two come out the window. And the next thing I know, uh, I hear a shot, and someone falls out the door, and he's crawling on the sidewalk, trying to get across the street. And right uh, in front of you. Right in front of me, wow. and a man follows him out the door. Wow. And doesn't even look at me, and I'm I'm six feet from him, and he he puts another bullet in him, oh. and the guy's still crawling in the street, and he puts another bullet in him, and you know I'm just there with a bag of candy, just in shock, and uh, as he's walking, following this guy on the street as he's trying to get away, I just ran down a block. I lived about three blocks away and ran home, you so know, and uh, neighborhood, right in my neighborhood, yeah, just yeah, I mean, this a couple blocks away from my house, three blocks actually. And it also made me think uh, about when I got into law enforcement later in life, um, I was sitting at the substation one night, not in Twin Cities. I've worked for a couple of different departments. 
And we were there late one night, about 2 o'clock in the morning, and somebody beat on uh, one of the side windows. We go outside, and uh, we find uh, a young man in the bushes, black man. I'd say he was, I don't think he was 21, 18 to 20, somewhere in there. Oh. He'd been shot. He had no place to run, so he ran to the police substation. Uh, later, we were to find out that uh, he had tried to rob a, uh, a drug dealer in the neighborhood, but he ended up uh, getting shot. But anyway, while he was there, he, he couldn't talk. And uh, I remember we got him out of the bushes, and he looked at me, and he stretched out his hand. I remember uh, grabbing his hand, didn't know his name or anything else, but I knew nobody likes to be alone at that time. And uh, I remember holding his hand as, as his life went away. You know, when I thought about those, oh. and uh, I thought about Mr. Floyd, and um, just a lot of things go through your mind. But, uh, you know, as I said earlier, we, we met working with youth, and, uh, you know, a lot, of, a lot of parallels. Maybe they're not the same stories, but we see many of the same things that uh, people go through many tragic things. I, uh, so speaking with youth, you know, I, I started, you know, when, when we look at all the situations that go on, you know, and... Uh, and the black community, you know, too many, too many young black people die, too many older folks die. I mean, but, uh, you know, I, I think um, I, I read an article from the, uh, the Washington Post that talked about over the last five years that uh, I think it said 1,265 uh, black men have died at the hands in, in police uh, critical incidents. Wow. And over that same, same period of time, you know, you've got uh, 50,000 black on black deaths too so you know we're, we're looking at 51 52,000 uh young men and women have died and and that shouldn't be so and and i look at those numbers and and it's it's baffling and i and i wonder what you do about that i i read an article about uh in uh new york times and it it stated that from 1970 to 2011 that over 262,000 people of color have died at the hands of their friends or family or someone in their community. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know how to make that right or justify it. And I, I think that uh, as I looked at that, I think the place to turn to is our youth and just have some direction or a different way. I realized in my life, you know, maybe later than I should have, but I remember in high school, just one day, you know, it was all fun and games and this and that and hanging with the guys and Finally, I realized when it was about time for me to get out of high school that, uh, you know, they weren't going to secure a job for me. They wouldn't secure a future for me, that my friends didn't hold my future. I had to make a path for my life. I had to make a way for myself. So I, and I, I started to think differently about who I hung around with and the, and the things I did. I had to make some clear choices in my life. And, well, it's uh, interesting that's, to say that, Gerald, because it, uh, sometimes I don't think we realize, we think clearly enough that those we spend the most time with, mm -hmm. we become the most like. Yep. Yes. And it's interesting that there was a little check in your mind to say, wait a minute, let, you know, at a very critical time in your life. Mm -hmm. And and I find that to be so. Like, uh, you know, I, I've worked, uh, as you've worked with many different groups, I've worked with uh, grade schools, junior highs, high schools, JUCOs, four-year schools. But now I, I primarily, my, my focus, my main focus is, is junior highs because I think uh, at that age they have the most capability to change their lives. They're not set in the high school structure. They can yep. still get four years of critical studies. They can, they can really make a career path and change in their life. They, they're at that position. And, and I'm not saying that it's not worthwhile and others can't, but I think what is best for me at this time is to focus on that area. So I, I try to go in and, and give them some hope or, you know, um, I have a program, it's called Vision Motivational Programs, but the, and I, I remember hearing that where there is no vision, the people perish, and I think that uh, it's 
People come from many different walks of life, but I think people have to have hope and dreams. And as long as they have those two things and they realize the opportunities that are before them, they have a chance. But if you can't see your opportunities, then there's no reason to have any hope. And oh, I think if there's a vacuum. I think that's a huge message, that there are opportunities. Mm-hmm. But we're hearing yes. today, you know, with the national unrest, it, 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 there, there's a voice coming out saying, there's a lot of folks, there's a lot of people in our country that don't have opportunities. How, how do we change that? I, I think, uh, you know, it's it's... Sometimes we, we are in situations where we see ourselves as a victim. And I, I think uh, it, we have a chance. If, if you're in a boat that's sinking, you can either be a victim or you can swim. Uh, I think people need to start swimming. Uh, and I think there are a lot of times that people are placed in bad situations. And, but there are still opportunities out there. Uh, you can list so many people who succeeded that had nothing to begin with, whether they became multimillionaires or just successful in the job field or, or just were an electrician, a, a plumber or pipe fitter, or HVAC. You, you can name, there are so many different career opportunities, but I think first off, we have to take advantage of the educational opportunities or before us. And that's why I said I, I try to start out at a younger age. And I think also, as we, we mentioned, it's who you listen to and the voice that goes off in your head and your heart. I like to say, find a passion. What are you, what are you passionate about? And, go and, and that's the key. You know, everybody doesn't have to do the same thing. There, there are so many people that do. So, you know, there's a young lady here that likes to bake cupcakes. She wants some cupcake company um, uh, TV show. She's got a big cupcake place in the Twin Cities. I mean, she you get a lot more for a cupcake there than a hamburger. You know, so you know, it's that's her passion, and I think people need to find their passion. And and sometimes we we you know the saying it's uh, it's better to light a candle than the curse of darkness. I I. I hear that so often, and, and it's, it's difficult, you know, um, obviously I'm, I'm a black man, obviously I'm in law enforcement, so I hear from both sides, I, I hear about the agony of uh, police-involved incidents with uh, people of color, but, you know, factually that uh, twice as many people that are white are involved in the critical incidents as black, so, but, but that's never part of the conversation, so, you know, they're, you know, that's, that's a factual statement. I think uh, I was looking at the, um, I think it was the Washington Post, and they listed it over the past five years. There's been over 2,400 white people that have been um, involved in uh, police critical incidents where it's 1,200 for people in the black community. But it's never looked upon the same way. And I, you know, I don't know exactly why, nor, you know, some of the other deaths, all of them are tragic. You know, I I have, I've met people, I talked to the man who lost every son in um, gang incidents. Uh, I've talked with a lady who's lost all of her children, and she has all of her sons and one daughter left. She lost her last son uh, at her daughter's birthday party. Um, you know, so what, what do you say? There's, there's a culture of, that needs to change. And life, life has to be something that's precious, and we have to realize that uh, even in times where we don't agree, we have to find a, a level of civility that we once had that this country doesn't seem to have anymore. You know, interesting you bring that up because you and I were actually talking about this the other day. And and you made the comment that we've lost our civility. We can't, it's like we don't want to be civil with each other and and we need to. And and I think another important thing, and this this is a hard thing for some to swallow, but we all, I say we, we all can't have everything we want. Uh Uh-huh. And, and Katie, you're resonating with this. It, we have to be able to 
come to the table, I guess, use that as, as, an, as an illustration, and say, I, I, I want to meet you. I, 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 I want to see change happen. I want to see transformation happen. I mean, it's got to be an interesting perspective for you. I was thinking about you earlier today. I, I ran down to the store to pick up some things, and, and this one particular uh, grocery store I was in, I was just looking around, and I guess maybe more conscious of this because of the unrest, but there were people of all different ethnicities, and there seemed to be some civility there. There wasn't, I didn't see anybody going after anybody. I didn't see anybody yelling at somebody. I mean, yeah, there were some rude people pushing their carts and, you know, blocking an aisle, but that's no big deal. Talk to us for a minute about you're there at a protest or, or you've seen some of this, the looting or the rioting. When you see that, what goes through your mind and, and how do we process that that haven't seen it or don't see it? Maybe only on TV. It's, it's, it's difficult. What I would think, of, as far as my, my mind, what I, what I think is I, I understand the rage, but I, I don't give, think it gives you an excuse to steal and loot other people's belongings. Uh, you know, many of these businesses, without state or federal aid, will not open back up. Yeah. Generally, most insurance policies do not cover civil disobedience. So, so they're gone. The mom-and-pop businesses are gone unless, unless they find some way that somebody will, will fund them as far as the construction and uh, rebuilding of, of their buildings. These men and women, mom-and-pop stores, they didn't have anything to do with this yes. horrible, horrible situation. What, and most are from the community. Show, okay, because as a man of color, as well as being in law enforcement, as well as having been raised in the inner city, all things that I cannot, I can't speak to, but I've heard it several times, the rhetoric that you don't understand the pain and this is how we are dealing with our pain is by the looting and the rioting. Of course, that has subsided significantly in the last couple of days, but your response to that? You know, everybody makes choices. We're, we're sentient beings and I, I think people make choices. And, you know, the thing of it is, with my job, uh, a key tenant with me and the job I have, and we're not invited to birthday parties and bar mitzvahs, is what I tell people. You know, we only come to bad situations. And so in the midst of those situations, when I leave one and go to another, I don't take any of the frustration from a prior incident out on the people that I deal with. And likewise, I think that people can feel pain and frustration and anger, but that doesn't mean they have to inflict it on the person who has nothing to do with the situation, because that's equally as wrong. So I, I stay away from that. That uh, that's somewhat of a mantra for me. I, I don't want to involve other people into conflicts that are not theirs. For one, and and secondly, I, I, we we have to make some better choices. When you know, anger is not always the solution to the conflicts we have in life. I've found that often I deal with a lot of people who are not police friendly, and generally, if I see them multiple times and say hello, after I say hello six or seven times and we talk about kids, family, or cars or something like that, we find that we have more in common than apart. So now, guys that didn't talk to me years back, we talk all the time. How are you doing? How are your family doing? Say hello. Even Sometimes I'll even, like, they'll come in as a family and everybody waves. So uh, I find that if you can find something in common with people, and generally you can, but you have to let down your guard, and, and you have to find that, that area that you have something in common with them. So you is that and, part, you know, because I, I want to make sure during the show that we talk about some solutions. 
Frankly, that's what I didn't hear when I was interviewing people at the protest yesterday. Uh, I would ask, I said, you know, how can we be the change? And I heard generic things, you know, um, give money, vote. Those are good things. You know, give money to good causes. And and, and, those are good things. But I kept pushing and I wasn't getting that grassroots bottom line and I think you just said something that, I mean, I'm aware, but I hadn't put it in this situation. We've all got something in common, mm-hmm. but is that part of, and again, this is such a huge issue, is that part of the solution? To We've got to be willing to drop our guard, you said, and then find that common ground? Without a doubt. I think it's the common ground that we all share. I, I think... Uh, most cultures have a stronger family structure than sometimes we do in, in African-American culture um, and a stronger family unit than we have. That is a major part of it. But I think also we, we need to find some things in common. One thing that I learned is uh, when I traveled as a speaker and I've probably been about 40, 46 states or so, and I've traveled extensively through the South, Northwest and other places and through Canada. But, you know, what I found is in the places where people would say that I would have the most problems, I had some of the greatest times. I, I think the best time I ever had in my life was in Biloxi, Mississippi. Huh. Uh, my mom was worried about me going down there, but I had a great time. Best time I ever had on the road. You know, and uh, people I wasn't very familiar with took me out and did a lot of things I'd never done. <laughs> ate some, some kind of stew, and I'm still not sure what was in it. But uh, And, you know, and you can run into some different situations. I, I work at a store that's... Uh, has a lot of different cultures, whether it's from Africa or Southeast Asia. So there are a lot of foods that I'm not familiar with, and there are probably employees that speak about seven or eight different languages. And so I've always wondered how these, they all speak to each other, and they sort of catch on to a little bit of each other's language. But as they find out they have more things in common than apart, it seems like it all works, and they bring in all the different foods. So you have people from every different ethnicity and part of the world that come to this store to shop. And, and then I'll ask them, what's this, what's that? And, and, and so what, sometimes I try things out. But that even works in our culture. Like when I told you I was in Biloxi, one thing yeah. that grabbed me, we went out for a meal and one of the couples had a small child. He was in the high chair at the restaurant, sat next to me and he stared at me the whole time. <laughs> and he reaches over and he grabs my arm and he starts rubbing my skin. And uh, I laughed, everybody laughed because he'd never been that close to a black person. Oh. And so he just had to check it out. And, you know, it's, and it's such an innocent thing, and it was so funny. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, you know, he just wanted to know. And, and I think that's the thing. Sometimes we're so far away from each other, we, we, we just separate over the silliest little things. And it was something that was humorous, and we all had a good time. And I think sometimes we, we need to spend some time with each other, and we'll find out that the things that separate us are not that much of a big I was deal. Say, yeah. I think we're closer than we realize, mm-hmm. you know. Now, one of our, uh, somebody in the audience just made the comment about it's hard to build their own companies. And I, I'm assuming that the comment is, is for those in the black community. Um, now, I guess the whole comment is people don't, let's see. People don't think when they loot people or others. They don't think that people are losing their own companies and they don't appreciate or value the things of others, I would gather. Yeah, yeah no, that, that's certainly true. That's a great comment, by the way, Kitty. Um, and, and I think that thinking, I mean, get, let, let's, let's drop the, the guard a little bit. Let's find a common ground. 
let's put ourselves in somebody else's position. In fact, mm-hmm. I, I'm a big one, you know, when I'm in schools and, and um, I like to, to talk about the golden rule, you know, which is, is a core value in most world religions. And it's a simple thing. It's treat others the way you want to be treated. And it seems to me that, but, but again, this is such a highly charged emotional time um, right now. But if we just stopped, as, as Kenny just said, and, and before we loot a store, not we, but before you know, someone makes that, like you said, choice, ask, what, is this really what I would want somebody to do to me if I own this store? You know, it, it, it was hard for these people to, to, these mom and pop stores are hard to put together. You know, it's, it's, I know when I was growing up, when I was in junior high, my, my, I thought initially I died and gone to heaven because my parents opened an ice cream and candy store, you know. They ended up losing it. You know, after a couple of years, they tried awfully hard, but all of the development that was supposed to happen never did happen in that area. If they owned it today, it would be a killer. But it's, oh, yes. uh, you know, it's, it's, I, I like what you're saying. It, it's, and this whole idea, if we can just, it's a trust factor. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, like those, the, to the guy and the gal yesterday at, at the protest who said, you know, don't do it, don't do it. You can't trust him. You know, that, that hurt me in a sense because I thought I, I like to think of myself as somebody I can, that can be trusted. I want to be somebody who can be trusted. And I think that's, that's very true. And, you know, People that are successful, I, I would say this, out of the people that I've seen coming into the Twin Cities community, uh, one of the most affluent cultures now would be the, some of the Hmong community and, and some of the other communities. Uh, and what they, they have a very good family structure. They work together. They self-fund their own businesses. They all get together and they put their hands to work and, and they go about their business and they create a business and they work it till it's successful. And uh, they they assimilate, they come into the culture, they learn the language, and they're very functional. And and they stay on point. And I, I think sometimes that when one feels disenfranchised, they, they keep that mindset. So it's me against the world, they swim against the tide. But there comes a time you have to be a part of something that's bigger than you are. Uh, or you just get crumbled and under the weight of everything that you face. Because, you know, uh, I guess the old saying is no man is an island. And so you can't stand alone. You have to be with somebody and you have to get with a group that's successful to be a successful person. I think that very often we're propped up on the shoulders of others. And I think that most of the times when I found myself befriending another person, there comes a time when they befriend me. And I would say that most of the contacts I've made in life are through relationships, not through something I saw on a post or online or a job opportunity. It's, it's, it's word of mouth. And from your friends, the people that know you, that have a relationship. When, you know, it's, uh, we, we just had some garage doors installed. The same installer, it got along good with him. He put the neighbors next, about a block down. They asked me, and I recommended him. He stuck in their doors. And so it's word of mouth that fuels most of the success in life. And I think that sometimes if we uh, don't put ourselves in a position that where we're liked by people, it, it causes us calamity for life. Absolutely. Now, question, before we lose track of time, I think we could be talking about this uh, considerably more, and we'll have to get you back on the show. I appreciate you taking time, because I know you're busy, especially working long hours because of what is happening culturally right now. But as a young adult, I've noticed that they all want change. You know, they want things to be different, and they want to make a difference. You know, our our Are You Mad feature that we have on Utah about making a difference. In this situation, the cry for justice, the cry for peace, the cry for 
change. And in some senses, they're crying for civility, but they don't know it. What can that young adult do now to be the change? What, what might be a couple simple things that could, in their sphere of influence, could start changing things, transforming things from your perspective? My perspective would be as much of an abomination as this situation is that know that the, the people that are in control of this situation will handle it legally. Legally, the process has to be done fairly, and uh, it has to follow line upon line, or, or everything um, will have to happen again. So that's going to have to be done. So I'm not a part of that process. They're not going to be a part of that process. They have to trust in that process and watch it as it goes. If they don't agree with that process, they can voice it, but that doesn't mean that they destroy the things of other people. But I think the biggest part of change is, you know, I think that every every house starts with one block on the bottom, and that block is you. So if you want to build a good house, you have to start with yourself. So if they get their life in order and their emotions in check, then they can be that change for another person. If they can straighten up their lives, then they'll influence the spirit which they have, uh, whether it's their siblings, whether it's their spouse, or whether uh, it's other people in their family or school that they work at or wherever their job is. You know, sometimes it's just a kind word that makes all the difference in somebody's life. And they could be that person that uh, lights a candle. You know, it's, it's been said it's very easy to light a candle in the daylight. But when things are tough and life is hard in situations like this, it's much harder to light that candle in the midst of the night. So I, I, would, I, would, I would say for that person to be to light the candle in the midst of the darkness instead of curse that darkness and, and go the other way. Finding something positive, again, uh, one of our audience saying, using your voice in a positive manner. And I think it being introspective really is what you're saying, Gerald. Look at yourself yeah. and then say, I can't change the whole world. I can't change the legal system. I'm not saying that there doesn't need to be reform. That's mm-hmm. for leaders, you know, and, and, and law enforcement people and politicians and the legal system. So we're not denying that needs to happen, but I can't do that. But I can look at myself. I can look in a mirror and be introspective and try to get myself under control. Uh, you have talked to me a lot about framework, you know, and with the type of framework we have in our lives is, is to determine whether we're going to stand or we're going to fall. And I appreciate that because I, I actually have, I, I look at that every day almost to remind me about exercising and practicing drums and doing things like but I think if we could look at ourselves and, and that might be the hardest thing to do mm-hmm. is look inside and instead of pointing around and saying all of this needs to change, you need to change, you need, what about me? Because it starts mm-hmm. with us. I like that. The, the, the building a house starts with that first single block. Yes. And if we, if we are just a product of change and do things for other people, and it can be something very simple, you know, we all, we all, things that we can do, whether we're helping some older person in our neighborhood, whether we'll, we're helping some uh, young, young kid with a bicycle, whether we're volunteering somewhere, there's, there's something we have to offer others. And so when we do that, we, we just fulfill a part of the neighborhood, part of uh, the structure which we influence. And so I think that's what people need to do. Uh, you know, sometimes I think we want to do everything. We can't do everything. I remember once uh, Mother Teresa years back talking about the problem with Americans is that they want to change the world. And she says, I don't want to change the world. I want to change one person's life. And so I think that's what we need to do is change a person's life. And if you change a person's life, you've, you can change the world. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I, I love that. Mother Teresa, I had the, the great privilege of hearing her speak one time, and, and what a powerful woman, woman of wisdom and sacrifice, and she changed the world yes, she because she changed a lot of individual lives. And, and Gerald, that's great wisdom, and practical for each one of us. You know, we want to change the world. How do we change the world? One person at a time. Mm-hmm. You know, it's been said that the journey of a thousand miles begins with the first step. So changing yeah. the world begins with one person. And if we could just determine within ourselves, as we refocus, uh, I, I'm going to seek to to help one person and see their life changed. We're not just trying to change people. That's not our job. We're trying to change a situation for them. We're trying to help them, and there's so many things we can do. Yeah, just help them see opportunities before them or lay out an opportunity before somebody, you know, or just let them know. Sometimes I think some of the things that would have made a great deal of difference in my life I had no idea because I had no experience. And and there are many people that have great experiences that can be uh, in leadership roles or just give us some sound wisdom on, on things to do. Because I, I make a lot of bad decisions, and I've learned from those, and those are some of the, the greatest teachers in life. Because not everything is a success, but but there's also times where we can have some people before us that are a little bit older, they've been there before, and they can give us a lot of good wisdom as far as things to do or not to do, and just let us realize that no matter how dark it is today, that tomorrow comes and the sun will rise. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You mentioned older people. I, I think to my, my mentors, I, have, I currently have one who's in his early 80s. Uh, two years ago, I lost my mentor who died at 102, and I'll tell you what, he was sharp within the last, uh, the last few months of his life, he faded, but before that, he was as sharp as you can get, and I miss him today. I, I keep thinking, the questions I would like to ask, his name was Evan, I would like to ask Evan, and uh, it was funny because his best friend, Ted, was my mentor for a dozen years, and at Ted's memorial service, Evan, at the age of 93, said, Steve, I'm going to step into Ted's shoes in your life, and I want to mentor you. And so I can't affirm more what you're saying is, look for that person. You can't, you can't have everybody speaking into your life, but find that person or those people that can speak truth into your life that you know love you and care about you and want the best for you. Gerald, I want to thank you so much for taking time and to get here with us, but uh, we definitely are going to have to talk some more. And uh, I just appreciate your friendship and the way you have built into my life personally. And I thank you for your service to the community and to this country. Stay safe out there, my brother, and uh, let's let's keep in touch. Will do. Bye. Take care, Katie. This is Utalk Radio. 